Football is officially back, and we've got you covered right here on the Ringer NFL feed. I'm Shiel Kapadia, and every Tuesday and Friday, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you Extra Point Taken. Nora Princiati here to tell you that Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Monday and Thursday. Our Monday show will recap everything from Sunday's games. Thursday's show will encompass any news during the week with an eye towards the next slate of games. Subscribe to the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow the Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter at Ringer NFL. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me, Rob Mahoney. Big Waz, we are here for part three of the power rankings, and we were going to do an abridged version of this intro just because we're coming off of part two. It's kind of like a part two, part B. Um, but I saw that Rob was at a concert last night, Waz. Did you happen to see this? I literally just saw this maybe 30 minutes ago on my Instagram I don't usually have the sound on my Instagram on, so I couldn't see, but it took till the last story. Well, I was like, I recognize those red locks from anywhere. That's Florence from no. Florence in the Machine. Uh, Waz, you were doing so well. You were doing oh, so well until her? then. Not Florence. <laughs> You've mistaken the queen, Jenny Lewis, for Florence. I, oh. I, on the one hand, I get it, but also no. My sound wasn't on. I just saw a red-headed white woman, and I was like, that's <laughs> Florence that's Welch. I feel like this is kind of a part two, part B of our intro to the first podcast because we oh, sure. were just remarking on on Rob's just diehard emo fandom and mm. how he's coming into the season as emo. And I feel like Rob, you proved it. You um, you put your money where your mouth is by by going last night. What was it? Postal service. It's the combo twentieth anniversary Death Cab for Cutie Postal Service tour mm. right now. Wow. Phenomenal show, mm. transcendent experience. I I have really reached my final form having heard those albums in full. So I, I come to you now as a changed man. I've, I've seen the show. I've eaten my post-show bacon-wrapped hot dog. I'm just, I'm flying right now. Mm, love it. Um, yeah, I, I can't say I ever really delved 
into those bands per se, but mm. they're probably like emo adjacent. They're more like adult contemporary emo. How would you say you're the, you're the expert here? I think it's I think it's definitively emo, but mm. a show like this particularly emos of a certain age. You know, it, we okay. we are among our millennial cohort out there. Everyone's knees are hurting a little bit today. That's that's kind of where we're at. I was in technically was in the pit, but there was not much moshing going on in the pit. <laughs> Light shoving. A little like body bump? Gentle swing, really. Mm. <laughs> Gentle swing, okay. Waz, are you taking notes here? I am. I just, I, I, like, these are two bands that I've heard of that I feel like um, existed back when stations played music videos, like your cable channel, like Fuse or MTV Fuse, yeah. <laughs> would actually play music videos on them. These bands were prominent in that time, but I can't say I could identify a single song as, oh, that's Postal Service or that's Death Cab for Cutie. This is definitely when I would go take a piss during TRL time for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're going to get you up on it, Was Honestly, I bet if we played a couple Postal Service tracks in I particular. I know the songs for sure, yeah. You've heard them. Okay. Well, uh, let's get going with the power rankings here. So this is part three. We're starting with number 15 on our list. Uh, just a brief recap, as we do every show. Everyone sent in a ballot. We averaged them out. Isaiah Blakely, our intrepid producer, broke the ties, including uh, with this number 15 team, general talk, swing player, essential slash existential question uh, for each team. But number 15 is a team I think that everyone here and probably in the NBA is quite thrilled for. Uh, that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. They technically tied with the Pelicans, but uh, they rise to 15 as opposed to 16, thanks to Isaiah, who is also on the bandwagon. Um, I'll say this. I had to really temper my enthusiasm for the Thunder in these rankings. It had to be a cold shower for my throbbing optimism, uh, because if you were to ask me emotionally where this team ranks, I would say Jordan Bulls, you know, like the the Barkley <laughs> yep. Suns, the uh, the Penny Shack Magic, okay. just like the best seventy three win the, Warriors, you know, the cream you. of the crop, the Eric Bledsoe Clippers, oh, just yes. all of the best of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but. I'm trying to be more measured here. There are a lot of young guys on this team. Uh, I don't think they get younger per se, but they do integrate what functionally two rookies here with Chet Holmgren playing in his first year after missing his first year and then Casey Walls and a few other guys. Um, and so I think this feels appropriate for them, Rob. Number 15, what do you think? Yeah, we're trying to be responsible here with a team that for as high on them as we were last season, won 40 games. And they're going to improve. They're so young still, as you mentioned, incorporating rookies, but also bring back so many young players who still have their best basketball ahead of them. So we can certainly project growth. We can absolutely be optimistic. But let's be reasonable about, about where this team can go, given what they have, given the shape of the team. And in fairness, the team itself is also doing the same thing. Like Sam Presti is, is also pouring a, a dash of cold water saying that, you know, like we need to at least take the steps to be a good team. They're not a winning team yet. They have all of everything they need to become one. But we got to see that in action before we can really start vaulting them up the West standings when the teams that are ahead of them are mostly really good veteran teams. Yeah, I think if <laughs> if we would to project forward, I think potentially our placement of the Thunder. Some people might say was a bit premature, right? Um the Wolves and the Pelicans, for instance, who had completely injury-riddled seasons 
last year uh, finished ahead of these guys. Um, and they had like proven veteran players on their team, right? And generally, that's what wins in this league, right? And so I could easily see the argument be made um, for those two teams particularly to be placed higher than the Thunder. If not, you know, some people might say even Indiana and stuff like that. The teams that are immediately behind these guys uh, people can make those arguments, right? And I wouldn't be mad at them for going either way. However, I think Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he made first team All-NBA last year for a reason. And so the floor of this team is just high. And then you couple that with the actual talent that's on this team. Um, and if, you know, if there's even some breakthroughs with just two or three of these guys, we're talking about a really exciting, intriguing team this year. Now, that doesn't always happen. Development isn't always linear. It isn't from year one, we did this, and then like this incremental thing, right? It doesn't always happen that way. Um, but it's it's understandable why people would be excited about this team, especially the way they finished last season and where the talent is distributed, right? Like they have, you know, Chet Holmgren, who is going to be a defensive dynamo pretty much out to start at the big position. Now, he's not a center yet. He's probably still a power forward, but he's a defensive, impactful big. They have size and skill on the wings position. I don't know about their shooting, you know, We'll have to we'll have to come back. Some questions to, that. to say but the least. But these are exciting things: rim protecting, versatile big man defenders, along with dynamic ball handling, wing size on the perimeter. Like this is the stuff that you dream of as a fan base, as a team building process um, situation. So yeah, I understand why everybody's excited about these guys. Okay, so we've now done the preemptive, like, let's let's be measured about this. But now can yeah. we be overly just, like, optimistic and just out of our minds here? Because uh, we watched Chet Holmgren go head-to-head with Victor Webanyama earlier this week. And I got to say, our man Amish Paradise is looking pretty good already. Yeah. <laughs> um, just going at him with no fear, which... I, I don't think a lot of people expect it because you see just this gangly oddity on the court who's shooting threes one minute uh, and then trying to dunk on people the next. He goes at Webanyama on Twitter after he gets headbutted. Yep. Uh, I think I expected Holmgren to be good this season. I expected him to be in the rookie of the year race. I didn't expect him to come with so much swagger immediately, Rob. Yeah, he looked really good in that matchup. And I know the the takeaway highlight was Victor scoring and flexing on Chet in that game. But the matchup really brought the goods. And the rookie of the year race between, I think, primarily those two guys is going to be so fun to watch all season. Holmgren, I think the the key is going to be like how he exercises his feel because there's no doubt he has the skill to put the ball on the floor, to play in space, to do all kinds of things bigs don't ordinarily do in the NBA. He has that, and he has the shot, and he has the touch. And I think as we saw in that game, he has the ability to maneuver around the basket and the length to just finish over people even though he's not physically that strong just yet. He's he's as much of a beanpole as Victor Webanyama is, and yet these guys can just find angles that other players can't get to. And so I'm really excited to see how that fits together offensively with everything else that OKC has to offer because the best we've seen from them so far their fives have been spacers primarily. And Chet has that. He's going to be able to hit threes. He's going to be able to stretch from the corner and from the wings. 
but he's also so much more of a factor off the dribble and inside than the other bigs that they've been messing around with. Yeah, and Chet specifically, who, you know, I got the chance to sit down with and speak to last year, um, you know, before the draft. Uh, my favorite thing about him is not just that he's really toolsy, is that he is... He has a winning mentality. What do I mean by that? Uh, even in Gonzaga, he didn't make himself into some ball dominant, oh, I'm a potential number one pick. I need to put up stats, 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 buckets. No, he concentrated on fitting a role, quite frankly, um, and playing winning basketball. And I think his willingness to take coaching and embrace a role is what's going to make all the difference on a team that is disloaded with young talent and guys... You know, let's keep it real. A bunch of guys who have to get second deals, okay? Um, that that can complicate things. That's why you don't really want. That's that's why you don't really want to have a roster um, of too many young people or too many of one thing because guys are fighting for different things, and that can get in the way of stuff. With Chet Holmgren, I don't worry about that. Like, he understands that as a big, if he goes out and dominates on defense, if he goes out and is a complementary piece that elevates everything that's going on around the perimeter with his ball handling dominant players around him, he's going to get paid. He understands. He told me that. <laughs> like, literally, he understands that. And that's what I think is most exciting about Chet Holmgren is that he's going to embrace the idea of being a superstar in his role, right? And so he's not going to be one of these rookies that are wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. He's going to be like, yo, the coach is telling me, yo, go out and dominate at this. Go out and execute at this. And he's going to embrace that. And that's 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 crazy, man. Like, that, that's, that's big stuff. And is what makes the Thunder overall, that mentality, already very good and gives them the potential to be pretty special because you can see that same quality, the willingness to play a role, the willingness to share the ball in the spotlight. You can see that in Jalen Williams, too. You can see it in Josh Giddy too. You can see it in SGA, too. Williams? Yes. Well, wing Jalen Williams, especially. <laughs> yes. But certain, certainly big Jalen Williams, too. Yeah. I think yeah. overall, just the fact that they've created an offensive ecosystem where all of those guys can create off the dribble, where it is so much drive and kick, and it's so collaborative, and it's so cooperative, even though one of your guys is an all-NBA first-team guard. That's not an easy thing to do, especially, as you said, Waz, when all of your players are younger and on that end of the spectrum and still trying to establish themselves, not only financially, but in the public consciousness among NBA fans. They're trying to get not just their NBA deals, but their marketing deals. Hmm. That The Thunder are in this place with this much talent and everybody seems to be kind of pulling in the same direction. It's an incredible thing to pull off. And over time, if that holds, it will it's what makes them overwhelming potentially to play against. Yeah, and I think that's what brings us to our question here. So... Uh, on the one hand, what made them special is exactly what Rob described. They just have all of these wings who could attack off the dribble, and it just seemed like everything was interchangeable. One person was going for it, the, then the next person was was driving and trying to dunk on somebody's head. Jalen Williams, in particular, uh, seems like he gets bonuses for just dunking on people. He just seems to enjoy <laughs> it so much. Um, but I, there is sort of 
this season probably more than last, uh, just this kind of giant question hanging over, like, let's find the team that we are, or at the very least, we need to optimize certain players in certain lineups. Uh, and I think Giddy probably is the the focal point there. I wrote down, does Giddy, the best version of OKC feature Giddy off the bench? And now on one hand, Giddy is excellent. He's as big as a power forward probably, yeah. uh, and yet passes it like, like a point guard. He's virtuosic in that regard, but... As you alluded to, the spacing could be a concern. Not a lot of good shooters uh, in that starting lineup. Shea seemed like he was taking more threes in the World Cup, but obviously is more of a downhill attacker. And then the other question is, if you want to protect Chet Holmgren in certain lineups or just in general, do you need a big next to him? And thus, who do you move out from it? So as much as it is a giddy question, Rob, I think it's probably as much about the guys around him. It's a Shea question. It's a Chet question. Do you like for you, does, does it seem like they need to embrace what made them special or are you like, well, actually, we need to figure out this other stuff? It's a question they're going to have to confront, I think, over time, specifically if Giddy doesn't continue to improve as a spot-up shooter. That's where it comes down to. Like This all works if everyone can hit catch-and-shoot threes at like even just a league average level. Like th- That is a formula that works. If Giddy is kind of sitting in the corner and no one has to guard him, that becomes a bit more of a problem. The issue in terms of moving him to the bench is he's just too talented and too productive to do that without a clear alternative in mind. And so if there were a guy on the bench who was clamoring for that starting spot, maybe that's a move you can make. But without that, I just don't see a reason for it just yet. And some of it is, you know, I think we're all very excited about who Jalen Williams can be as a player. Josh Giddy is still evolving too. He's still figuring himself out as a scorer. He's still finding out everything that he can do on the floor. You don't want to count out his development just yet either. Yeah, I think the the reason why Giddy comes up in every single he gets so much ink in every single Thunder review or anytime the Thunder get brought up is because with the emergence of J Dub, I hope that's the right one. Um, he sort of becomes I don't want to say the odd man out, but yeah, kind of. Um, it be it becomes a crowded situation. Of course, it's a luxury to have three premium or above average wing talent guys, but it's only feels that way if they're complimentary of one another. Um, and his inability to shoot and just the fact that he just, you know, he obviously, let's just take SGA out of the equation. J-Dub has more juice with the ball. He has more electricity when he has the ball. Um, Obviously, he's not even the playmaker. He doesn't possess the size that Giddy does, but he's just he's just more dynamic with the ball in his hand, right? And so now you have two guys who play your position who are more dynamic with the ball and you don't shoot, right? And so yeah. you're not sort of um, compounding what they do uh, as far as its effectiveness. And so he's so young and they're so not thirsty to win meaningfully um, at this present moment that they can just sit on it. But I I think there's a reason everybody keeps identifying him as the thing to watch what they're going to end up doing. Yeah, he's a little too much like Shea, which is weird to say because they're both special. It's just it becomes a little bit too duplicative, as as Rob alluded to. Like, he's not able to take the kick out from Shea and Barry at three points. This is what happens when you have five draft picks a year. (laughs) <laughs> like, it's impossible for this not to happen, for you not to stack young players at the same position, 
right? And so, yes, we love it. They got all the assets in Paul George. And, you know, I know assets make everybody in our profession cream their pants. But this becomes the problem. Like, you can't have all of these guys. You can't give everybody the playing time they deserve. You can't give every single person a shot, right? At a certain point, the rubber meets the road. And, of course, um, even beyond the playing time and all of those things, why OKC is the worst market in the NBA, as far as generating profits... They're the smallest. They don't have money. They can't pay these guys in perpetuity. That's before we even address the, you know, the new constraints of the CBA. Like the, in the best of times, in the most willy-nilly of spending in the NBA, OKC couldn't afford to have all of these guys. And eventually, all of these guys are going to have to get second deals. And so I think rightfully, Justin, you've identified Giddy as, you know, sort of the first domino to fall here. Because it's like, man, if you're redundant and not complimentary, why are we going to pay you what you're actually going to be worth on the open market to other teams? See, I think he is complimentary. He's just not complimentary in a spot-up capacity, right? Because I think right. we, we we love Shea's game. He is more of a score-first guard than he is some visionary playmaker. He's a yes. good passer, a functional passer. Giddy is the best passer on this roster. And, and really the guy who can catch on the move and redirect possessions in a creative way that goes beyond basically anyone else in this mix. And so when you're talking about a team of a lot of driving kick options, a lot of guys who can attack, who can make things happen, but none of them are next-level playmakers, you need that sort of connective tissue, too. You need your Andre Iguodala types or your Draymond Green types to redirect things to make to really elevate what you're doing. I hear that, yeah. but the problem with that, Rob, is that just because we pay you based on the skills that you possess doesn't mean that you're going to actually deploy those skills at a rate that is worth what you're being paid, right? And sure. so in order to unlock these incredible skills that Giddy possesses, and full disclosure, obviously I've been a Giddy doubter. He's better than I thought. I was wrong about that for sure. However, the idea that you would let him operate your offense instead of Shea or J-Dub, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense. And so, yes, he has those things, but your services aren't needed here. You know, yeah. um, and that's what, and again, these things are still, I think, two years down the line. Yeah, They exactly. don't got to do anything right now. It's just obvious what's going to eventually come up. You know, it's no different than what they had before with Harden, KD, and Westbrook, right? right. Obviously, look, <laughs> these guys are not... KD and we don't need to do that but I'm just saying it's it's a similar situation you've never seen Giddy rap yet so <laughs> we won't the comparison still could be there he's but an honorary Broington if nothing else <laughs> right um Giddy just turned 21 yesterday on Tuesday he is younger than Jalen Williams who had more time in college even though Jalen Williams was drafted after Giddy the year mm -hmm. after Giddy and so Yes, I think this is the year, if not the year after that, to figure out if Giddy can be that optimal complementary player to Shea. And, and to the earlier points about like, oh, should they accelerate the timeline and take advantage this year or wait and all this other stuff? I mean, not only has Presti been open about it, I mean, the moves that they've made already suggest that they're going to wait. They just brought yeah. in Bertans' his giant contract. I believe Bertans makes the most money on the team or among the most this year for the Thunder 
just to move up a couple spots in the draft and in draft case and Wallace just to get the guy that they wanted. And so everything seems to be pointing toward another development year, which is why I think 15 is a pretty fair spot for them this year, even though we in our hearts would put them number one. And this is why when it comes to players like Giddy and whether you should move him to the bench or not, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can start right. him. And then ultimately, he is the primary playmaker with Kaysen Wallace coming off the bench. And we'll, we'll see kind of the wild card in the Thunder rotation is Vasily Micic. Like, we don't know how much he's going to play. Really good playmaker. Player? I wouldn't say he's the Michich? swing player. No, he, I, he is not the swing player. But <laughs> he, he's a good intuitive passer. He's the kind of floor general that they don't necessarily have. Shocker, he's also not the most consistent shooter in the world. So he's he very much fits the Thunder type. But he rounds out this group of big wing size playmakers we've been talking about like this is another guy in that kind of stable of talent and so how they manage in particular this second unit you know do you want Josh Giddy kind of running point do you want to give Kaysen Wallace some of those on-ball reps do you want Michich in that role because that's probably where he's going to be most comfortable there's a lot to sort out there uh beyond just like your glut of very talented high-end prospects there's there's a glut of very talented bench and kind of mid-range prospects on this team as well we haven't even mentioned Poku I don't think oh. we're going to be mentioning him a ton this season. If I'm being, is he going to make the roster? Oh my word! I don't think he's getting Jeez. squeezed like that. But even when you just fill out the depth chart, I think he's getting oh. boxed out by Kenrich Williams and Usman Dieng. You know, they, they kind of need fives. Like they could use a, a real center, but he's just obviously way too like scrawny for that to compete at that position. He's much more of a three-four. Yeah. I just don't see a natural place for him here in terms of actual consistent rotation minutes. The NBA yeah. comes at you fast, man. So who are you identifying as the swing player? We haven't named Isaiah Joe, Trey Mann. There are a couple other guys on this list that we have to <laughs> we have to shout out. I think it's Jalen Williams, uh, the J-Dub wing Santa Clara Jalen Williams. Whatever okay. whatever be designation so you prefer. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is annoying. And some of it we've already gotten into, like Giddy's limits as a player right now are pretty defined. What he needs to do, what's holding him back, spot-up shooting, like one-on-one -on -one dynamism, individual defense. I don't think you would say any of those things about Jalen Williams, and that's what makes him such a huge swing piece is I would believe if he was an all-star in two years, I would believe if he kind of just wound up being a supercharged version of the wild card player he is now. There's a lot of different potential endpoints for him, developmentally speaking, and even just on a possession-to-possession -possession basis. You just have no idea what that guy is capable of with the ball sometimes. He'll make really advanced moves seemingly out of nowhere. As you said, Justin, he'll dunk on almost anybody at a get like in a snap. So those are the kinds of players that needless to say, if you're the thunder and you're putting the ball in that guy's hands from time to time, could be a huge swing for your organization. Yeah. My swing guy is Josh Giddy because if he's able to be out there while J dub and Shea Gilgis Alexander can operate at the peak of their capacities, meaning what defenses can't load up on them. Their driving lanes are a little bit, you know, more clear and you know, direct. Uh, then this this turns what they're doing into something something completely different. Now, if he's just a guy that comes in when Shea's not out there, when J Dub's not out there, then they can't be the peak version of themselves, right? And so his ability to stay on the floor with those guys, and you know, of course, a coach can just play him but actually be complimentary and actually raise the floor of what those guys are doing, to me, is going to make all the difference in their season. 
It's crazy that we haven't mentioned Shea much at all, even though he was an MVP candidate last it's year. Given. But I, yeah, he's I the most like, known quality. His greatness yeah, I, is a I know. given. He, he's going to be that most likely again. I'm very excited to see what he could do in the follow up campaign. But I think you guys are right to identify Gideon Williams, if only because like the difference for this team is whether or not those guys go from potential all stars to all stars. And then we could talk about maybe raising the ceiling of this team for this season. Well, we, we've talked a lot about the offense, too, and not so much about the other side of the ball, which is, I think, where the Thunder separate themselves from a lot of other young teams. They already have really good defensive habits. They don't have perfect defensive personnel. They certainly have needed a little more help in terms of rim protection and things like that, and maybe we'll get it from Chet. But historically, when you look at young teams that do have those kinds of good defensive habits already, when they get a little bit of traction, they improve really, really quickly. And I think that's part of why we're so optimistic about the Thunder is, sure, they have some quirks to work out in terms of their offense or their rotation, but they're already in the right places so often and doing the right things so often that when it does click, Man, it's going to really click. Yeah. All right. We can go three more hours on the Thunder, but we're going to have to move on here. Um, Number 14, the Sacramento Kings, which uh, this team was the third team in the West last year, taking a big tumble. Uh, I think everyone is aware probably of the pitfalls or just like maybe the come down effect uh, of last year's just rousing success. And that starts with how available all of their players were last year. Their top eight players in minutes per game all played 73 games or more. That top eight play, missed 36 total games combined, which is unheard of. Amazing. And, and that was Sabonis playing through injury at one point. Um, and so I think a lot of us are excited about the Kings was, I think we're mm-hmm. excited to see if they'll, they'll follow up and be able to replicate the success from last year. But I think that's a big part of it. You have to price and you have to wonder if the injuries start to mount, like who are these guys turning to? Cause the bench is pretty shallow. Yeah. I, I understand the concern with the injury. However, I think this is a pretty talented group and I love the fact that their offense was multidimensional last year right and so if if you lose one of your best guys let's just say they lose a bonus for a time i think the rest especially the talent that they have on the wing is going to be able to generate pretty good offense you know for a sustained period of times i think if fox goes down for a bit. There are people that can come in and take over ball handling duty, which is not to say, you know, Sabonis actually initiating offense on his own. I I just love the the diversity of how they attack people last year, right? And so I think that leaves them less susceptible to injury than, say, if Luka Doncic goes down in Dallas, where there is no hope, there is no offense, there is no anything. Uh, without that guy. So I'm a little bit less concerned. And also, I'm a big proponent of continuity, man. Like, bringing all of these people back that have had all of this success together, and they can now build upon these things that they developed last year, right? So people are going to come into the season and say, oh, we know how to we know how to stop this action. We're just going to do this. Well, Sacramento's going to have counters to your counters this year. Uh, I think that's really exciting stuff. In the regular season, <laughs> you know, mm, uh, I, I think they're going to be a really good regular season team again. And I think they're going to win more games than last year. 
Straight up, because I think this is a group that they're excited about finally being a winning outfit. They're excited about um, being better than they were last year. And I think I think Fox will improve. I think Herter's going to improve. We're going to get into Keegan Murray, who I just oh, yeah. think the freaking world of. Like, if you're, a, if you're a Kings fan, you should be excited about what the potential for this team is this year. I think where I have a hard time talking myself into them winning more is just from the fact that they're so reliant on their offense. And as you said, mm-hmm. was they, they're they're definitely <laughs> they more able <laughs> they're more able to withstand injuries to their key players offensively than some other teams because of that multidimensionality. But when you drop from literally the best offense in the NBA to a middle of the road offense when your star is out, or or you know just through the attrition of a season, through an off month, through an off week, whatever it is, and your defense is atrocious, you just can't always make up for that difference. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a little worried about that. And I'm also, in context, worried about how the arms race that's happening around the NBA offensively factors mm. into the Kings being the best offense in the NBA, right? We have Denver, mm. Milwaukee, Boston, Dallas, Golden State. Those teams are going to be better Phoenix. offensively than they were. Phoenix, good Lord. Could be the number one offense in the NBA this season. Yeah. But and Sacramento so has Harry, Harrison Barnes back. They do have Harrison <laughs> Barnes back. And they're still going to be a really good defensive team. But if they are the sixth best defense instead of the number one defense, does that cost them a couple games in the aggregate? I, I think it's possible between that and the injury concerns, at least, you know, just kind of regression to the mean in terms of their health. Those two things could bring them just down to earth a little bit from the 48 wins they had last season. So here's why I'm, again, this is a regular season question and not a playoff one. In the playoffs, having a six foot nine center cannot be schemed away. It cannot be, you know, efforted away. (laughs) Like you're going to face the reality of playing a six foot nine center for 40 minutes a game. No matter what, like there's just that's just how it goes in the playoffs. In the regular season, I think you can scheme around that, and I think they can be a competent regular season defense, um, more so than they can be in the playoffs, where the realities of your flaws just. I mean, it's exponential how deadly those flaws can be, right? The effects of those flaws. So I understand that concern. I just think this group is a high effort group, a high IQ group. Definitely. And and, um, they, they, they can overcome many of those deficiencies in the regular season. Now in the playoffs, I think, you know, they're going to get worked, beat like a drum. Uh, speed bag, whatever you, whatever metaphor you want to, you want to use, <laughs> they're gonna get destroyed. But I like them this regular season. Well, it's funny because we talked in the last episode about how pretty much half of the NBA is wrestling with this, oftentimes offensively gifted big men that they have to play at the four in order to pair them with the right five. And do we have the right five? Like, do they mask enough of his deficiencies? Can they rim protect? And if they can't rim protect, what do we do with this other player? Uh, the Kings have a real streamlined ease of use where they're like, oh, our our guy is just going to play center and we're just not going to give a shit about defense. <laughs> and we're just going to try to blow teams off the court with offense. Yeah. And I think that sort of choice has allowed them to be so successful in the regular season. They know who they are. They have an identity while these other teams are kind of flitting and flirting yes. and trying to gear up for the postseason. And so I can't see that really being an issue yet again for Sacramento unless the injuries are concerned. And I think the the big question over the offseason was like, oh man, they had these opportunities to make a move in order to 
and like to build upon what they built. And all they did was ultimately bring back Harrison Barnes. They gave Sabonis the extension. They didn't chase any of the possible upgrades they needed for, as Rob mentioned, a, a conference that's just getting better and better by the day. It's going to be tough. And they can bank on some internal improvement. Was you outlined it like Darren Fox, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, even you know, Chris Duarte, they brought in over the summer. We'll see kind of how he factors into this. Kessler Edwards. Are we Vesenkov guys? We, we can talk about Vesenkov. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they brought in Kessler Edwards late last season. I actually kind of like that length on the wing. You know, you can see them. You know, we don't have the best defensive personnel. We don't have the elite rim protecting center. But like, let's get a little more size out there. And if nothing else, Miles between... was good in the playoffs mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and so, so you have at least some good forward flexibility to try to, you know, duct tape something together defensively. Uh, JaVale McGee is is nobody's answer to anything, but he's around, you know, he's, he'll he's, he's presumably large. play. He is large. I don't know that all of that will be enough if like the young guys improving and the kind of additions around the fringes of the roster will be enough to actually improve the Kings. But even holding even holding serve would be good, right? They were already such a successful team last regular season. If they're in the top three again, that is a huge win for the developmental project that Sacramento is undergoing here. Well, that leads me into the essential question here, which is about probably the, the ceiling riser on the team, and that's De'Aaron Fox. Uh, not really Vesenkov. had a breakthrough. Well, I mean, <laughs> Vesenkov not included. I, I, he's number one with the bullet. Fox comes in after. Um, where does Fox now rank in the star guard hierarchy? And I ask this because Rob and I are in the thick of our top 100 rankings, which are going to be coming out uh, next week on, on TheRinger.com. And I found Fox to be one of the more perplexing ones because in the playoffs, I think you would say, good Lord, this guy is easily one of the best players in the league. But now stepping away from the high of that and just like the excitement of of watching him on the big stage, I'm like, you know, is he really better than Donovan Mitchell? You know, yes. Tyrese Halliburton? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> well, you probably would have Donovan Mitchell 50th. Uh, yes, he is. Well, this is the thing. He... Did it in the playoffs. Halliburton still remains to be seen, right? Um, I think even somebody like Ant Edwards still has to prove it more consistently. We think the 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 ceiling of Ant Edwards is on another stratosphere than Fox for sure. But what's been proven on the what he who's actually put it on film in the highest leverage games? You know, I I don't think you can say that about a lot of these guys, especially recently. Like Donovan Mitchell, don't get it twisted. He's dropped fifty in the playoffs before, and and that kind of stuff. But his two most recent playoffs, he's embarrassed himself. You know, um, in a way that you like you can't even last year's playoffs. They they weren't in the same category of lead guard for their teams, and they were nope. asked to do the same thing. <laughs> they were asked to lead their team on offense and be, you know, a lead distributor. And Fox just acquitted himself way, way better than than Mitchell did. Now, you know, the Jama Rants, the Dames, the SGAs. Now, so let like, me give you the names here. Uh, let's let's, let's find his place here. I I think I think there's a pretty clear demarcation line, right? At, okay. at the to- at the top, Steph, Luca. SGA, yes. Devin Booker, Dame Lillard. Yes. I think we can say those guys are yes. definitively better than De'Aaron Fox. Yes. Butler? Is Butler a guard? Jimmy Would Butler? Jimmy? 
He, I mean, he can be a guard depending on the year Jimmy, and all that. I mean, playoff Jimmy, the way he becomes ball dominant, starts That's, shooting threes, and just like yeah. I, he's I not a guard. I don't know what to he's do. not a guard. He's like, come okay. on, sure. Uh, so I think the line is there, and then from there, it's some of the names we've been alluding to: Donovan Mitchell, John Morant. Trey Young, Jamal Murray, Tyrese Halliburton. I think that's kind of the tier with Fox and how you sort those guys out. I mean, it's anyone's guess. It's just, it really is a matter of taste with that group. Look, I, I think I've I've been a Fox sort of truther for a little while now um, because, you know, my bias is hole? like, yeah, <laughs> relax. Uh, my bias <laughs> is like, if 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 I watch you, cook people whose defense I respect in person, I'm going to, it's sort of hard to shake that. I watched him cook oh. Kawhi and Paul George one regular season night where they were trying to stop this dude and they couldn't stay in front of him, couldn't stop him from finishing at the cup. I'm like, this isn't a, this, people can't, don't just come in here and do that, right? And the, the question was whether his jump shot was going to come along. Guess what? Last year, a menace in the yeah. mid-range. Really last two years. Yeah, the last two years. And he's finally become somebody you can't go under the screen at the three-point line and pick and roll. And so, I mean, if he's going to do all of that and in one-on-one, people can't stay in front of him, I, I don't know what to say, man. This is, this, is, this is elite stuff. I like how there's levels to the eye test. There's like the normal eye test, and then there's the I saw it in, my, in person with my own damn eyes test. Yeah. And that's elevated. Like, you know, that's that's a different tier. Listen, well, so I mean, I, I'll give you another example of that. Somebody like yeah. DeJounte Murray, who doesn't give a damn about defense anymore for the most part. I watched him, like Lou Williams, that first Kawhi year, six-man-of-the-year candidate. I'm talking about what him and Montrez had going on in pick and roll. Like, nobody was stopping it all year long. It was like, the Clippers and the depth and the this and how are they going to stop? It was like crazy. DeJounte Murray walked in there. Lou Williams was scared to dribble. I'm serious. He was giving the ball up at half court. Like, yo, take this shit. I, I don't want it anymore. Like, I watched that. <laughs> I'm like, yo, this guy, when DeJounte Murray wants to get into somebody's ass, he's yeah. going to, like, he can do that at, at a level that is hard to even fathom, right? And so that's what I'm saying. Like, I watched this guy against what everybody agreed with some of the most elite perimeter defensive talent that our league had to offer and just beat them. By itself. Having said that, like two years ago, we wouldn't trade this guy for Ben Simmons. So there is That's, a little bit of like a new that, car smell. That was smell. a mistake. But that was a mistake. Yeah. I, I think he's among the maybe like the more unproven of that group, which is why like, yes, I think the playoff success is something to factor in here. But I also think it's a data point that like maybe get another year under your belt and then I can maybe put you right underneath the dame as opposed to I would probably slot him toward the back end of the pack of that tier that Rob alluded to. I think he's probably in the middle of it. But again, it, it really does depend on what else you have. Who are the other and players the way, on the I roster? How does he fit into that? Somebody wants to say Jamal Murray, but look, I'm I'm a Jamal Murray, I'm a Jamal Murray guy, okay? But Jamal Murray plays with Nikola Jokic. De'Aaron Fox plays with Kirkland Brand, Nikola Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> so There's what is the difference, y'all? Then, is he like Kroger? Oh, and he's the Amazon Sh basics. Shangoon is Canal Street. <laughs> he's Canal Street brand. Uh, All right. Who, who do we have for swing Yoke. players here? <laughs> uh, Keegan, 
Keegan is jumping Keegan, off the page. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, as proof, I offered the difference between the timid Keegan Murray that was in over his head at the start of that series against the Warriors and the more comfortable, emboldened version we saw toward the end of it, right? If if he is that guy on a more consistent basis, that's huge for the Kings. And really, I think this is the natural time to start transitioning some of the stuff that Harrison Barnes is responsible for offensively. I mean, <laughs> I, I probably will defend Harry Barnes more than most. And had a good season by all means, but like you need Keegan stepping into some of that, some of that responsibility, some of that role. We get it. We get it. Let's move on from Harry Barnes though. We get it. Good soldier, great career. We got to step off of him. We just need fewer possessions where Keegan is the guy sitting in the corner and he's he's a very good shooter. I get why he's there, but let's get him getting some of those handoffs that that Barnes was getting. I loved how he just did summer league for two games and just, hoisted like 93s and just stopped it was just clear within like the first few minutes that this guy was on a completely other level so yeah i agree with you guys i think he's gonna be exciting to watch this episode is brought to you by honda there's a lot that could impress you about the all-new prologue ev true it's got class leading passenger space and clean thoughtful design and intuitive technology but what really sets the prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an ev it's a honda honda the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash ringermba. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Let's move along just so we don't do another two-hour podcast off of five teams. Uh, (laughs) Number 13, the New York Knickerbockers. Um... Man, just I got deep side. Say about these guys. It is, well, you're you're boots on the ground right now. Just I, just give us the sights and smells from the bodega. I mean, look, I, I I've I've been critical, but when when the regime has needed praise, uh, you know, at a certain point, management has decided to take a wait and see patience approach about bringing in the next superstar, Nick. And I, you know, I can't say that that's been a mistake. Uh, there were points, especially midway through last season, when Donovan Mitchell was looking like a world beater, you know, um, and and it was crazy. And then, you know, in the playoffs, they had that fool looking like a pumpkin, you know, <laughs> like and and just imagine they wanted twelve thousand picks and this and that and and you know, I I, I just I I think they're just in a holding pattern. Because they have Tibbs, because they have a lot of really good, high-quality players, they're going to be competitive. I think they'll be, they'll probably slot themselves into that top six again in the East. 
But I don't see why we should think they're going to be better than any of the teams that were clearly better than them last year. And in fact, I think there's a good degree of chance that Cleveland is better than them this year, who they spanked and whooped on. You know, but Cleveland is young and their 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 high-end talent has so much room for improvement that they can finally surpass and overcome the Knicks hump. Um, but yeah, I don't got a lot for the Knicks right now. Like, what is there to say about the same team from last year? Yeah, that felt like very much a rite of passage series for the Cavs where they're going to have to learn how to play with that kind of physicality. But that's what the Knicks can do is they can teach lessons to teams that have less talent, yes. that aren't coming to play, yes. that aren't as physical as them. The question is, like, what Julius Randle are we getting this season? Uh, it seems like a year-to-year kind of concern. Like, I, I haven't fully consulted my star chart, but I feel like he was good two years ago, <laughs> or good last year, bad two years ago. That means he's going to be kind of frustrating again. It's not an odd year. He's not going to be able to shoot. That's is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, my concern is primarily... This was a very good team in part because their offense was almost inexplicably one of the best offenses in the NBA last season. What are the odds we think that will happen again? I mean, nothing's changed. And no. So should we really expect, if anything, they got a little extra juice yeah. with bringing in Dante DiVincenzo, yeah. moving out Obi Toppin for literally nothing. And so they're Full Villanova deep. at this point, doing business as the Villanova Wildcats. That is such a weird <laughs> thing that they're doing and how much, how many mountains they moved in order to recreate that. It just, I, I don't get it. But so I would assume this team is going to be good as long as Julius Randall is able to, uh, be some facsimile of the player he was last year and just doesn't completely just biff it like he tends to do on even number seasons. I would love to say that there's some team that's just like angling from the bottom of the East standings ready to leapfrog the Knicks, but they're way too solid. They're way too yeah. solid for us to just like move them down on the basis of any kind of skepticism. They've proven it, right? They've proven yeah. that they can be a pretty dependable regular season team. And it, Certainly a formidable one for teams that aren't quite ready for for their brand of basketball in the playoffs. There are, there are certainly some wild cards in the bunch. Your RJ Barrett's and apparently Emmanuel quickly has added himself to that category after his playoff performance. But I, I don't know that there's enough wild cards to lower them any further in our power ranking than the number thirteen team in the NBA. They they've certainly earned that. Well, here's my question, and Waz, you're probably best suited to answer that. Is like how much longer. Is it going to be okay that they are in sort of team building purgatory waiting for that next star? Like, Bro, is it another you, season and then people are up in arms? Is it two seasons? Games to this fan base, I think you're in good hands, bro. It's, it's, yeah. yes, it is a holding pattern, but they are very flexible. They still have a lot of their assets. They are in prime position to pounce on a superstar who actually has leverage in dictating the terms of his move, right? Um, when you have a guy who's like, all right, I got a year and a half left on my deal. Like, I'm definitely not going to sign on you, sign with you guys. Like, my contract becomes a ticking time bomb. Like, all right, cool. They can force their way to somewhere. They're in a position to be a suitor for one of those guys. You know, now the KDs with seven years left on his deal and the Dames and the, even though they wasn't really in Dame and like these other ones, I don't think so. But, you know, to, to leverage... A superstar that actually has leverage and say so and where he wants to go, they're in prime position to do that. And as long as, again, y'all got to understand, the Knicks were whiffing on free agents and ending up with the ninth worst record in the NBA. This is so much better than that. Night and day. By like a trillion degrees. Like there's no, 
There's no argument against that. Like they're well competitive. I do think in the fans every year. Fans do tend to get fickle, though. I we talk about this a lot. It is the the mid aughts Hawks problem where you are good for so long and then being good isn't good enough. But they haven't and been I do good think, for that long, right? They, We're just getting started. A couple of seasons good. now. It's been I a couple like, of seasons. And Justin, this is what you got to understand. Like Hawks fans are normal people. <laughs> we cannot say that about the New York Knicks fan base. Like you can't, the expectations of normal, you know, just modal fan X is different for the Knicks. Like they're going to talk themselves into this team making noise in the playoffs. They're going to do it. Watch. Can I give you the expiration date though? I think if Embiid comes on the market, if things don't work out in Philly, when things sure. do not work out in Philly, and he's like, not gonna work out mm, actually, give me to Miami. Sure. And they don't get him. I think that is when people tend to revolt. I do think they are constantly selling this message that like, oh, we'll get Embiid or maybe Mitchell or somebody from this next crew in a similar way, honestly, that they were about LeBron and, and uh, that type of free agent class. If they don't get one of those guys, then I think, we're we're in trouble here, but until then, I tend to agree with you. I well, agree. They've already embarrassed Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs. Maybe the strategy is embarrass Joel Embiid in the playoffs. You know, real, yeah, really go so full negging on the stars you want to bring in to also, your team. Also, Donovan Mitchell not exactly foreclosed on. Mm. Remember that. <laughs> like that's not that door's not closed on that. Uh, we don't know that he's long for Cleveland, or that Cleveland even wants to keep him around. Uh, you know, and so these things are always so fluid and constantly in motion. You know, I, I don't think there's a reason to think that Knicks fans should start the revolt, the revolution, and oust James Dolan as owner yet. Although I feel like we've be been nice. too negative. I feel like we're being too negative about a it's good It's going to be a nice team. season. And They're going to be good. They're going to finish can in I the give playoffs. You some positive They're going to be Julius loud Randall New York crowds in, in freaking April. Please do. I take responsibility. I got us off on a weird foot, but like, let's, let's set, set it straight here. You're so negative. You're such a cynic. Yeah. Um, all right. So three players in the NBA have averaged 20, 10, and four in each of the past three seasons. Huh. Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Julius Randle. <laughs> okay. And now here's the key one. Julius Randle has led the Knicks, led the Knicks to two playoff birds, right? <laughs> Carmelo Anthony? Carmelo Anthony! Three. Oh. Very so, interesting. Like, is there much of a difference between the era of Julius Randle and Carmelo Anthony? Um, I think if we're being reasonable honest, can debate. if we're yeah. being <laughs> honest about what those mellow Knicks teams were, no. no. But I think they're, the memory of them lives on in, in some very rosy colored glasses. Yeah. So he's my swing player, I guess. The actual teams, I don't think any of these Randle teams, if we're even fucking calling them that, had the ceiling of that 50 win, you know, Tyson Chandler, Knicks group. Um, sure. I, I don't know that they've been that high end. I would I would argue, push back against that. But I, I see where you're going with this, especially mm. in the context of Nick playoff success history. I mean, you know, it's, it's just a really it's low a, bar to clear. It's healthy on times. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. But. This team, honestly, there is a lot to like. We we bagged on the Villanova aspect of this, but all of those guys are pretty dynamic players, right? They have a lot of talent that can pass, shoot, and dribble. A lot of like very versatile games that kind of slot together in interesting ways. They're 
you know, you have your Mitchell Robinson on one end of the floor, but everybody else can do a little bit of everything in a way that's pretty exciting. So who do we have for swing players? Anybody else? I think quickly. Sure. You know, I had him as the sixth man of the year last season, and I, I he certainly was not that in that in that playoff run. The best Emmanuel quickly games just make you wonder what holds him back from being that guy more often. And so I think even a little bit more consistency would go a long way for him. Some of that is staying healthier. Some of that is learning to negotiate contact. Like he's such a floater dependent player and a jumper dependent player as opposed to somebody who can really go up and through people or even kind of take shots on the way to the rim sometimes. Supposedly he's worked on those things over the summer. I, I guess we'll wait and see. But of all the guys that the Knicks have with guard and guard-ish skills, quickly is the most interesting one other than Brunson with the ball in his hands. And so I, I would love to see him kind of level up in that regard, level up as a playmaker, level up in a way that really benefits the collective of him slotting into this combo guard role. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm an RJ guy or I've been an RJ guy. I've, you know, I've finally sort of given up on the idea that he's going to be, you know, a low-end star-ish guy. I think right now, the best hope is that he's a high-end role player on the wing. Um, somebody who come on, he's better is, than that. Is he? Is he? Is he? Is he somebody you want soaking up possessions, Rob? At his position, I don't think so. I think you want him working off of stuff, attacking closeouts that you know that um, increases in, increases in the defense that were created by some other guy who's way better than him with the ball in their hand. To start offense, uh, I think his playmaking is, you know, has improved bit by bit every single year. The shooting, the inconsistencies of that have just been so disappointing. Because if he could just get that thing to be just average, it would mean the world to this team and to his career. But it's just been so up and down. Where he's like, there's times where he's shooting in the freaking teens. You know, uh, that that's it's just discouraging. And so, and most importantly. Because my favorite type of NBA players are those who are in the run or test mold, um, which I thought for a little while that RJ was. I thought he was going to be a scrappy, defensive, physical presence, wing type of guy, physical wing kind of guy. And it's just never borne out that way. It just hasn't. Um, and so, yeah, if he, would, if he would become all of those things I just mentioned, you know, 36% three-point shooter, at about six or seven attempts per 36, that would be incredible. If he could get to the free throw line at about six, seven attempts per game per 36, that would be incredible. If he became a plus perimeter defensive player who also every now and again helped you on rebounds, that would be incredible. We're not asking him to be Carmelo Anthony in his prime. We're not asking him to be Kawhi Leonard, you know, the way the freaking Raptors fans are asking Scotty Barnes. We're asking him to be complimentary to winning. Do we have the... Do we have the drop ready for that, <laughs> by the way? I, said, <laughs> I, I didn't even know. Y'all didn't think I that. could do that with the... Y'all didn't think yeah. I could do that, did y'all? All right. Well, since we're talking about Kawhi, well, why don't we move on? I, I just want to say, quickly. I feel like this is quickly a little uncharitable to an R, a player in RJ Barrett who had some amazing playoff games. Genuinely amazing game-altering performances against not only the Cavs, but against the Heat, too. I... I was very impressed with his run. I thought we saw versions of what you're describing. Some games where he hit threes, some games where he was more physical defensively. Also, some games where he just got to the cup and yes. and cut and like these are the things we well want him to do. Rob, consistently, I I agree. There's a consistency issue, but man, when it hits, it hits. 
Okay, let's move along. <laughs> Spoken uh, like a true tw- crackhead. <laughs> 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 number 12, speaking of crackheads, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, a team that I, for one, cannot quit. Uh, I think the spread on <laughs> on this one was the most interesting in terms of votes. Uh, Waz had them at 17 <laughs> below 17. the Pacers above, above the Hawks. Rob had them at nine. Uh, I had them at seven. The best players don't play. What, what am I supposed to do with this team? What I would suppose is, what if they did? <laughs> what if they okay. did play? Okay. Rob and I are suckers. Okay. We have no self-respect. Okay. Uh, like, we need help. We're sickos. But I just cannot stop myself when I see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on a goddamn roster with all these players around them. I can't help it. I I need you to help me, Waz, because I just I can't stop believing in this team. I, I, I just I, like it's just I don't know what to tell you guys. When Paul George is missing games every year with these muscle injuries that we know don't get better over time, that's not a thing. There might be these random periods where what seems random where they don't flare up for long enough for guys to string together games in a row. And it's like, oh, whatever happened to that hamstring? Whatever happened to this? All right, cool. But, like, that's constantly what this guy's missing games for. So I have no, there's no reason to think he's not as he gets older. And Kawhi Leonard with a knee injury that nobody knows even knows what it is. And, yes, it looks Does good. Does he have a he's... knee? Who knows? Exactly. Like I, I don't know why I'm. Why should I think these guys are going to play when it counts? Much less the regular season. Like I did my rankings based on who I think could have playoff success, and so if if and when they don't have either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, or like in most cases both of them don't play. What what is this team, guys? What is this team without these guys? It's a lot of eh. Yeah. It's 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 not good enough, generally speaking, but the Clippers also just consistently win more games than you would expect, even with those guys out. They consistently kind of overperform the supporting cast that they do have, Sans Stars. I, I, I just have a hard time talking myself out of them because it doesn't need to work for four years. It just needs to work for one. It just needs to work one time. It works for one year, and they got embarrassed by the Joker. Well, Hello. They, still, they still got hurt at the end of that, but it just needs to work this one season. And I'm not confident that it will, but I'm confident that if it did, they would be very good. I will say the supporting cast is looking a little more ragged than I ever remembered. And part of that is just players getting older. Marcus Morris sorely aging past the point where he's modestly helpful, but annoying to just like annoying and a nuisance on the roster. Mm. Um, like very most relatable of guys, for all of us, I will say. <laughs> sure. Most of the guys are counting on are aging into their 30s. And so on the one hand, I'm like, maybe this is past the window of when a Kawhi George team could rally them into the finals. On the other hand, I just instantly think of the Lakers winning a title with fucking Rajon Rondo on his last leg, just shooting it like he's Steph Curry. And so I'm like, they obviously have way more than even that sort of setup. Like, um, and they could have more, which is probably a transition to our friend James Harden, who is obviously the central question here. I'm actually curious, Rob, do you think Harden would help this team considering all of the baggage he comes with, A, and B, the fact that they already have like nine different varieties of, of guards to put around these two superstars? I think he would help them, but maybe not as much as you might expect. 
because I, I think it is a little bit matchup dependent and situation dependent. When Paul George or Kawhi are out, James Harden would do more to elevate the supporting cast that the Clippers already have. So you can see the benefit in that. If we're if we're taking the Waz stance of these guys are going to be hurt, then James Harden is is pretty helpful to have around. But thinking about how the Clippers went out of the playoffs last postseason, James Harden doesn't make that series against the Suns any better. And if you plug him in for Russell Westbrook, I think he might in that matchup make them worse. Like what Russ was able to give them in terms of energy and effort is not what you get from James Harden on a game-to-game basis. So I can see the virtues of it, especially if the, the trading price is low enough, right, that you can you can just get him for potential picks and some scraps off the back end of your rotation. But you can see why the talks might be getting hung up on a Terrence Mann, for example, right? Like, I'm I'm not it's sure. That, Famer. I'm not sure that replacing the minutes you already have plus losing Terrence Mann and adding James Harden is like some huge, huge win for the Clippers that would put them over the top. Yeah, I, you know, James Harden, who's one of the best passers in the history of the game, would obviously be the single greatest playmaker of this iteration of the Clippers by far. No Westbrook, doubt. Westbrook is the best playmaker by far in the history of this combination of Clippers. What about Plum Dog, though? (laughs) (laughs) And so he would add that that dynamic, and I think that would be interesting to watch. I I would, you know, I think he would add something, a little bit of spice um, to their offensive attack that, you know, in the past has been relying on being five out, having Kawhi, being completely unstoppable in a one-on-one and going off of that, right? And so, you know, and Zubak has been a good pick-and-roll partner for multiple people, too. I think he's been underrated in his pick-and-roll game uh, a lot. I think he's just generally underrated, Zubak is. Um, But I don't know, guys. Like, we're talking about a Harden deal. We're talking about players who never play playing. Like, this team is a mess. It's a mess. And yet... They might not be. <laughs> we can fix them, Waz. I I'm, I feel confident that we can fix them. But I, I am wondering at this point who is even starting for them. You have to think Russell and Zoo and presumably the two stars, if they're healthy, those guys are going to start. Robert Covington started one of these preseason games. He also barely right. even played in the other He's one. Left to Schneid, yeah. Justin, you mentioned Marcus Morris not giving you what you want these days. Well, Ty Lue also mentioned maybe putting Kawhi at power forward. So there's sure. that type of lineup too. But then who do you, pl- I guess maybe you plug in Terrence Mann if you want a little energy and defense. Of course. I love Norm Powell, but I think you want him off the bench. You want him like counterposed to the stars as much as possible to give you that shot creation there. Maybe KJ mm-hmm. Martin is worth a look if you want just like a an athlete, an effort player, a guy who can slash and play off of these other stars. Maybe that could make sense, but... I don't know. I I don't love any of the options, which when you're a team that's supposedly built on this sort of roster flexibility, that seems like a problem. Right. It's nice that they finally turned to Covington, but maybe that is the telltale sign that things have gone bad, that Tyloo had to accept that Robert Covington is on his roster and he has to play him. It could be. Um, Is there any more of a swing player than our friend Kawhi Leonard? (laughs) I mean, I think we can group him and PG together, right? Just in terms of if they're on the court or not. Well, Rob, for our friends at State Farm, I think we have to identify Kawhi Leonard <laughs> as, our, as our swing player. Um, because here we go. State Farm is here to give you a fresh take on insurance. 
one where you worry a lot less about those what ifs. Like what if our home floods? What if I get into an accident? State Farm is like your best defensive stopper. When the other team comes charging down the court, you've got peace of mind that you won't be caught off guard. And so before we get into the big picture discussion of Kawhi, I want to talk about Kawhi on defense because uh, the yearly annual NBA.com GM survey has Kawhi pretty high up there amongst the league's best in terms of defense. He was tied for fourth and best defender uh, in the league, and he was fifth for best perimeter defender. And and Rob, I could already see you shaking your head. (laughs) Does he guard perimeter stars anymore? Is that a thing he's doing on a night-to-night basis? I I think so much of Kawhi's defense is looped up in his reputation. He is and can be an incredible defender. What is he on a night-to-night basis when he's actually on the floor? And that is a guy who's helpful, a guy who's rotating, someone whose strength and whose effort you're generally saving by putting him on lesser assignments. So I I don't know how that guy can be one of the top defenders in the NBA, but look, the, the GMs are going to vote how the GMs are going to vote. Yeah, a guy with a bum knee who's also tasked with being the focal point of an offense. Uh no, he's not he's not <laughs> delivering top-notch top-tier defense on a night-to-night basis. There are times where he pulls it out of himself, possessions at a time. Not games at a time, possessions at a time. And so yeah, I think on the high end he can get to some pretty high levels, but he's never doing it with any level of consistency anymore and I don't think it can be expected that he would at this point. And to be frank, maybe the Clippers don't exactly need that, right? They have enough high-quality defenders that they can make up for it, right? You can put Terrence Mann on somebody. You put Paul George on somebody, honestly, who's at least a little more capable of being a high-level defender at this point on a a possession-to-possession basis. So there's hope that the Clippers can be a very good defensive team again. I know they weren't last year, but I don't think that hope is, you know, spamming Kawhi Leonard as a go-to stopper night after night. You hear that, NBA GMs? Robin Waz disagree vehemently, vehemently. aggressively. Well, guys, you know there's a reason why adaptable defense is a must-have in basketball. You get all the coverage you need throughout the court without putting all your resources by the basket. With State Farm, agents give you hybrid coverage in person and over the phone, plus digitally, so you can get reassurance for those what-ifs exactly when and how you need it. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm personal price plan. Prices vary by state's. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. Anything else on the Clippers before we sign off on them? Any other swing players? Nothing. I mean, none of the other swings matter. You know, we can talk about (laughs) anyone's upside. We can talk about whether Russ can build on what he did in the playoffs. If Kawhi and Paul George are not both healthy, none of it means a damn thing. Okay. All right, last team on the list for today. Uh, Number 11, the Dallas Mavericks. Probably one of the more fascinating teams Uh, in the NBA next season. It's funny because the Dallas Mavericks, in my recollection of the offseason, made 90 million moves. And yet I look at the roster, I'm like, is is there that much different with with this team going on? At the very least, there are a few names here and there that have shuffled around, but it seems pretty similar to the team a few years ago around Luka Doncic, which which is, I think there's like more juice to this team but it is still Luca save us is the plan, which is a pretty good plan when Luca's uh, optimized and playing at his best and is is fit and you know not hurt. But it just seems like there's a lot of commotion, and we still find ourselves Rob at number eleven with the Mavericks. 
Yeah, very much a sound and fury signifying question mark kind of move, like summer for them. I do think there's a little more going on here than than you've represented, given that we're looking at, I think, at least two new starters alongside Luca and Kyrie. Who knows what they're going to do with the three? There's been kind of some mixed messaging based on their preseason games as to who's actually going to play there. I would think Josh Green is probably the safest bet on the board. But then you're looking at probably Grant Williams as one of the full-time starters for this team. And Derek Lively coming into the NBA and starting right away at the five, which is a lot to put on his shoulders. But there are a lot of new names in the mix for the rotation. The question is, are they enough to kind of box out some of the guys who are already there, right? Like, how much does Jaden Hardy play on a team that has this much guard depth? Does he lose some of his minutes to Seth Curry or Dante Exum? What position does Derek Jones Jr. play for this team? I think he's probably best as kind of like a combo 3-4, but I don't know. Maybe they'll need him as like a small ball five in some matchup. So there is a lot of new blood here. How important will those players be is a fair question, especially given the fact that two of them, Derek Lively and Omax Prosper, rookies as fresh as could be. And I think Lively is probably significantly more NBA ready at this point than Prosper is, but both those guys are going to have to play. Yeah, I, look, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the Grant Williams signing. I, I you know I can't say that I'm a huge fan of starting a rookie at center, the most important position on defense, especially specifically when your defense, <laughs> the the people you put around Luca defensively are going to tip the scales as to whether or not you can be a successful team or not. And in the past, it's been about having these rangy, tough, defensive type of players. Um, even if they are somewhat limited on offense and and letting Luca figure that part out of it so that you can be a competent bunch. So I wonder if or how they're gonna be able to do that. But I think if Luca plays, man, like they're gonna have one of the best offenses yeah. <laughs> in the NBA. And it's just about being sound on defense. And ultimately, I think they can have enough regular season-wise again, much like the Kings. Regular season-wise, I think they'll have enough to be competent on defense in the playoffs. This is not anybody's idea of a threat to any championship. Uh, it's just about lifting this this group up to a level of just base competence in the regular season. I think they'll be able to do that, honestly. Well, to skip ahead a little bit, that's why Grant is the swing player for me. I think if yes. there's anyone on the roster who has the defensive savvy, the experience, the communication skills defensively, to actually bind this group together, it's him. I just worry that that's asking a lot, a lot of him at this at this point, where there's just a world of difference between being a very capable defender and being the captain of a very capable defense, right? Grant Williams, there's no question he's a good defender, but can he lead this group with, as you said, a, a rookie at the five, some lacking defenders on the perimeter, a rotation that just doesn't have a ton of defensive talent. I don't want to curse this kid, Derek Lively the uh, second or junior, whatever we're calling him, um, but Draymond Green couldn't defensive captain Wiseman into defensive competence. It's just... Well, uh, the feel of Derek Lively compared to Wiseman is is quite different. He, he's very intuitive. It's It's obvious when you watch him, he knows how to defend. It's just that teams that play rookies at the five typically do not have don't good team defenses. Have good defenses. <laughs> Even if they make standout defensive plays, they don't end up with good defenses. I'm sure yeah. Dwight Powell will be starting 12 games into this season after yeah. Lively just gets just for demolished. The, for the, the five million yeah. time, Dwight so it was, Powell will rise it will always from be. the dead. <laughs> yeah. 
to start at center for this team. Yeah. But there is way more talent on this roster than there yes. was a year ago. And there's just like a lot of bets being placed here. The question is for this season, which seems to be an important one, just the trajectory of Luca's career, because we're already at the point where we, where we have to start wondering about him if we hadn't already last season. Uh, it's just how many of these can we really be assured will pay off this year? Lively's a big one. Omex prospers a, a wing that Rob was alluding to was already starting games over Josh Green. It seems like Josh Green's already in the doghouse. No, I and, think he'll be back. I I, I think Jason Kidd is just kind was, of. It seemed like they're yeah. just shuffling some people around, shuffling some chairs around, and seeing how the room looks. But ultimately, I think Josh Green is going to be in that spot. But do you have confidence that Jason Kidd won't continue that into the regular season? I have confidence with nothing <laughs> as far as Jason Kidd's rotations are concerned. Uh, big TBD on that one. But yeah, this team is, is, is really talented. Just to give you a glimpse at where they war- were when they broke into the West Finals, it was Brunson, Bullock, Doncic, Dorian Finney-Smith, and of course, Dwight Powell starting at center uh, with Dinwiddie, Kleber, and Bertans off the bench. This team is... Kyrie Irving, who we haven't even mentioned yet, uh, Luca, probably Josh Green, Grant Williams, uh, and and then Lively, and then Hardaway. off the bench, Hardaway, Hardy, Kleber, Powell, Curry. It's probably the deepest team Luca's played on. The question is, like, is that an? It, are they at the point where they have enough to give Luca the chance to break them into the West uh, Finals field, or are we already setting a ceiling? At maybe like a first round now. And if we're at that point, that already has trickle down effects to just the long term problem with Luca. No. I think a knee tweak or uh, you know, high ankle sprain to the teams that are clearly better than them, they're right in position. But outside of that, no. They I mean, but I, I'm not convinced that Luca needs to be shown a championship quality roster. I, I don't know. I think the guy just wants to be competitive. And, you know, I think right now they can say that they would be competitive with whoever they played um, in the playoffs because Luka has shown himself he's he turns his playoff teams into competitive. Like, that's always been the case from the beginning with the very best of them. So, I don't know. I, I think they. I think that that will still be the case. What's tricky about the kind of cross-generational comparisons for the Mavs, as you mentioned, Justin, like that Western Conference Finals team, really hit its ceiling in, in all mm-hmm. counts. Like that, that defense was playing as well as that collection of players was basically ever going to play defensively. I don't think we've seen anything even remotely close to the ceiling of this current team. And God knows we're not seeing it in the preseason. Like the Mavs are leaving a lot to be desired on, on tape so far. So hopefully they can pull some things together by the time the games actually start counting. This is a more talented, dynamic team than the one that they had, right? You, you're you giving yourself more headroom to grow into something. Will it be this season? I don't know. What are the results of like getting Kyrie into this mix, psychologically speaking, for this team? Just in terms of their game-to-game quality of life, having another ball handler of that caliber out there, what will that mean for them? I, I don't exactly know yet, but you would rather be in this position than be really hitting your head on the ceiling of what you can be. And so I, I get why they took these chances. I get why they made these gambles. Doesn't change the fact that they're gambles and they're going to be playing young players, inexperienced players, guys who have never played these particular roles before on their previous teams. And oh yeah, maybe the biggest wild card in the NBA, Kyrie Irving at the center of it all. Where are we on the Kyrie-Luka pairing going into this season? If we're saying that 
Dirk and JJ Barea skipping in a field together off into the yeah. sunset is like the high end. And the low end is Luca and Dennis Smith Jr. Like, where does the Kyrie Luca pairing fit? I think was it, it wasn't that bad. The Dennis Smith Jr. era wasn't the the those guys low end like of the vibe spectrum. Um, I'm really and, glad that they went to the same parties at their dorm room, but like it, they, it didn't work on the court. They got they got along fine, and honestly, uh, Dennis Smith Jr.'s treatment by Rick Carlisle was something that um, made Luca not like him. <laughs> to be sure. honest, uh, so you know they got along fine if the pairing didn't really make sense on the court. I think Kyrie is a just fine running mate. I just think he's overqualified to be what Luca needs. Um, again, it's, it's some of those same problems. It's we don't want to be giving Kyrie Irving the ball all day to do what makes him great when we have Luka Doncic on the court. We just need a secondary caretaker, and he's just overqualified for that role. It's just true. They're not gonna just be giving him the ball. And Another problem, and to get into the Trey Young territory, is Luca only wants to play one way now. He didn't play this way when he was at Real. He played a more team-oriented way. He but grinding now those Euroleague tapes. He, listen, you know not, it. It's not. It's not even that you're you're not allowed to play that way over there. It's it's just right. not a thing that people do. And so Luca wasn't. He wasn't this ball dominant, dribble, 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 leading the leagues and pounding the rock. And all of that kind of stuff. If he would, if Luca would be like, I'm gonna dedicate myself to doing different things, then I think we would see a higher ceiling for what this this parent could be. But I think they're both stuck in their ways of the type of player they can be. Uh, and it's gonna be on Kyrie to be a more movement shooter, catch and shoot, do things that are off the ball. And you know, I think there's a ceiling on that. This is one of those areas where you hope that the hard reset of a season turning over and getting a training camp and having the time to like properly acclimate, not just to the realities of playing with Kyrie Irving if you're Luka, but just knowing that you are going to be doing it for the full season. You hope that those things make a meaningful difference. You hope that over time, you can grow to be more than just a your turn, my turn kind of pairing because the your turn, my turn thing for those two guys could still be a really effective offense. But they have the potential if they are willing to try some of these other things, some other play styles, some other even just like, God forbid, move off the ball for a single possession, uh, Luka Doncic. They could really go somewhere, certainly offensively and certainly offensively in a way that would cover up for what they don't do defensively. It's just hard not to be skeptical, given everything that we've seen so far. Is Luka Kristaps below or above Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka? I think it might below. be below. That's a that's above. Below. Above. By the way, and and by the way, we need to keep that in mind for when we talk about Boston, because that man absolutely hated his fucking role in Dallas. Hated he it. He was not um, a fan of it. Guess what his role in Boston's gonna be? <laughs> I think he'll feel more at home in Boston. He already looks like he fits into wow. that Celtics uh, jersey. Oh, okay. So, all right, big, big Latvian population out there. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anything else on the Mavs? Mark Cuban, one of the worst owners in the league at this point. <laughs> okay. That's all I got for you. Destructive Great shark tank, uh, judge though. Terrible management. Um, this just this it's it gets so messy over there for no reason, man. And it, the blame has to go to the top because there's a lot of internal messiness happening right now. Um, again, 
who can you who can you put that shoulder that blame besides Mark Cuban? So yeah, they've certainly earned it. You know, they have had a lot of mess. They've had a lot of just like disgusting stuff. If you want to go a little bit Messiest deeper, but franchise in the league, bro. Hard hard to argue that they have a lot to prove in terms of just like their organizational stability and competence, but. On the court, the moves that they made, I, I don't mind. It's yeah, just a matter same. of seeing how it all fits. Yeah. They have like 30 just shoot first guards that they have to wade through. So yeah, like I like Seth Curry. I'm intrigued by Jaden Hardy. I liked him Hardaway Jr. on Kyrie Irving, but it seems like they have a lot of the same model just stocked up on, on their kitchen counter here. Well, this is why you um, bring in Dante Exum, obviously. <laughs> right. Yeah. We didn't even get to him, um, unfortunately, for Danny Chow. All right. Why don't we wrap it there? Part three of the power rankings in the books. Only two more to go. Two more hours to go. Uh, <laughs> three more you. hours very... to go. Realistically. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll say. Uh, thank you very much to Isaiah Blakely. He's still catching his breath from uh, last week's episode. Uh, thank you to Ben Cruz on production. We'll be back next week. We'll see you. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC Pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.